Well, it's a privilege this morning, as always, to uh, preach the Word of God um, and uh, a great passage this morning. Let me start with a story. The year is 405 AD. 405, that's a long time ago. And it is uh, uh, about uh, 95 years, 97 years perhaps, since uh, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire with Emperor Constantine uh, saying, uh, as an emperor can do, the whole empire is now a Christian empire. Uh, It's only a few years before the end of the Roman Empire and it begins to crumble. Uh, But um, England is at the time part of the Roman Empire. Uh, uh, a lot of Roman ruins right through England still today, you can see. Uh, but a young man is living uh, on the uh, coast in a coastal town in England, 405 BC. And he is the son of uh, a Roman official, someone with a significant position, a position of authority. Uh, it's a hereditary title that he will assume uh, when he becomes older. He will become someone wealthy and uh, live a very good life. He's 16 years of age. When a series of uh, Irish, uh, well, what we now know as Ireland, raiders from Ireland uh, come across uh, the seas, across the, uh, the Irish Sea, they land at night and they snatch uh, this young man from his bed and they put him on the boat with another, a group of other young men and they ship them back to Ireland where they are sold into slavery. He becomes a slave on a farm in Ireland, uh, a very isolated rural spot. He doesn't have the language. He doesn't know the people. He is uh, working, uh, living out in the fields in terrible conditions for many years. Um, and, uh, uh, but during this time, something stirs in him as he starts to look around and he sees nature around him. He starts to actually pray and he starts to think about God and this message of Christianity because his grandfather had actually been a very strong believer and a priest. And so he's got this historic knowledge about it. And in the fields, he begins to give his life to Jesus. Eventually, he miraculously, uh, he, he, he decides to try to escape and get back home. And miraculously, he travels all the way across Ireland, gets to a, a port, gets on a boat and is able to get home in, in what can only be described as a miraculous escape. He returns to his land. He returns to his future. And it's all going to be uh, much easier for him. But it's not that simple. Because one night he has a dream and in the dream he hears Irish people saying to him, please return and come and bring the gospel to us. And so he's got a decision to make but the decision's already been made because he is committed to it and he says yes to what God is calling him to. He goes, having left Ireland, having been a slave in that country, having been treated badly by the people there, he gets a calling to go back and share the gospel with those very people. This is at a time when the understanding is like where the Roman Empire and the Roman Empire is now Christian and no one thinks to go to, to pagan people and take the gospel to them. That idea of missionary, a missionary movement is not known, but he feels this calling. And he goes across and he starts to share the gospel with his people. He gets trained up a bit. He gets uh, ordained as a priest and then he goes across and he starts ministering to them and he begins an incredible transformation of that entire people group. The nation of Ireland turns to Jesus. And not only that, 
they begin to be form a movement that then begins to send missionaries back to the UK and around the world. And he, through his ministry, has one of the most incredibly profound effects on Christian history. And his name was St. Patrick. That's why when you, people drink a Guinness beer on St. Patrick's Day, that's what they're celebrating. Not that they realize that. And... Um, uh, when I came back from holidays, I, I grabbed a book that quite a few people had recommended that I read, a few pastors of mine. I discovered that they're actually in the uh, forward to it and recommended in the actual book. Um, but uh, um, I began reading a book called Movements That Changed the World. And I was reminded afresh that what we are part of here today, what we as believers are a part of, is not an organization, is not an institution, is not a church service. We are part of a movement that has been designed to change the world, that generation after generation has literally transformed nations, continents, people groups, individuals, families, marriages, the works. Christianity is a movement that we are part of. And sometimes, because we come into a church service week in, week out, and we've got a building, and church happens at 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning, and many of us have been doing church year in, year out, week in, week out for years, we lose that sense of what we are a part of. We are not part of an organization, a service, an institution. We are part of a movement that changes the world. And uh, it's exciting, therefore, to be able to bring this passage of Scripture that I think uh, should stir us to, to that uh, thought that we are not just part of something that is about holding on to something, but actually we're about part of something that's about giving something away and taking something and changing things. And it starts with changing us. Romans uh, 12, verse 1 to 2. Let me read it to you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, originally I was meant to do down to verse 8, but I'm just going to try and tackle those two verses this morning. Probably verses that you know, probably verses that you've heard someone speak about before, but verses that are so important. Uh, as you would uh, perhaps appreciate, I shared last week that the uh, Romans is sort of structured that Romans chapter 1 to 11 verse 32 is Paul explaining the gospel with the most brilliant, uh, lucid, um, profound explanation of the, the gospel ever given. Romans chapter 1 uh, verse 1 to Romans chapter 11 verse 32. And then we get this little three verse section that I preached on last Sunday, Romans eleven thirty three to 36, where Paul reaches the end of explaining the gospel and kind of breaks into praise and declares the, the goodness and the greatness and the glory of God. And then having done that, he starts to hit application. He says, having heard the gospel, having understood what Jesus has done for us, now in response to that, this is how you should live. 
And uh, it, it, as you might know, Paul's letters are often structured like this. We start with an ex- ex- explanation of the gospel and then it follows with an application. This is how you should live. And, and clearly, if you only hear one of those two things, you've really missed the full message, right? If you go into application and just uh, would, would start at Romans 12 and say, well, I'm just going to keep to the practical stuff. You might do a whole lot of stuff and you might even do good stuff and right stuff, but you'll miss the gospel and, and the, the foundation for why we should live as we, as we should live. Alternatively, if you just hear the gospel and then don't go on to application, then it leaves it open to really how this should play out in your life. The two go hand in glove and we need both of them. And in this, uh, in this couple of verses that I want to outline, Paul is addressing this question, how should you live your life as a Christian? How should you live your life? And I'm just going to work through this bit by bit. So therefore, he starts off by saying, Therefore, in view of everything that's been shared in the entire letter to the Romans, in light of that, therefore, he says, I urge you. He doesn't say, I command you. In this case, he says, I urge you. Why doesn't he command it? Because what he's saying is this response to the gospel should actually not come out of obligation. I have to do it. It should come out of a joyful kind of delight to want to live this way, right? It's not like, oh, I've been commanded. I've got to do it. Go and do something. Paul's saying, no, I urge you in response to what you've read. Uh, And the response to the gospel should be kind of a, not just duty, it should be delight. It is a delight to live this way in light of what I've come to know. So, uh, therefore, I urge you, um, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, and I, this isn't really like the center of this message, but I want to remind us every time we, we come to brothers and sisters, again, the relationship that you have with the person sitting next to you, however well you know them, or if they're a visitor, you may not know them at all, but the relationship you have with them is actually, if we're all believers, is brother and sister, not friend, not random person who you happen to go to church with, but brother and sister. We are family. Jude says that to me this morning. She says, she says, oh, we've come, you know, she often reminds me, we've come from Lockleys to be here. <laughs> it's like the other side of the world. We've come all this way. It took us 30 minutes. Um, and people ask us why we travel such a great distance. And the answer is simple, because this is our family. And it's true. She said this, has been our family for 30 years, 40 years. <laughs> Sorry, I get it wrong. <laughs> and what a great reminder that even before worship started in terms of corporate worship, I've got someone telling me, we're here this morning because this is our family. And, and it's brothers and sisters. What a, I, I don't know if you've had this where you've traveled to another country and then you go and worship in a church service and you discover that these people who you've never met before are your brothers and sisters. They're, they're not random strangers. There is something that has brought us together. We're children of God together. And, and that's why we do church uh, rather than just listening to a podcast. Because we come together regularly, as the Scriptures tell us we should do, because we're brothers and sisters. And we're in this together. In all the joys and challenges of what it is to be family, we are united together, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I urge you, 
brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in view of what's been unpacked, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, this image uh, taps, to, taps us into the Old Testament image of a sacrifice that would be brought to the temple and offered to uh, the priest. And the, the sacrifice would be taken to the altar in the temple where there would be this huge fire burning and it would be placed on that fire and it would be consumed. And, uh, and once it had been offered, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't therefore obviously get that back. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, or you wouldn't sort of just say, here, have half of the offering and I'll just retain half. You did the whole lot. You gave the whole lot and the whole lot would be sacrificed and the whole lot would be consumed. And this is the image that Paul says when we offer ourselves. We don't just sort of offer part of ourselves, we offer our whole self. Or to use a different image, as our former pastor Colin Rolfs did at our last church camp, uh, you can think of the hokey pokey, right? You know, the biblical image is, uh, is, an, is an animal being offered on the sacrifice. When we went to the last camp, Colin said, let's do the hokey pokey to capture this picture, right? Do you get it? You know, uh, are, you, are you in terms of your response to the gospel going to put your left hand in or you put your left leg in or are you going to put your whole self in and then do this bizarre little dance? Um, I've never understood that. What is this? Anyway, it's a whole other topic. <laughs> you, put your whole, you put your whole self in. Uh, the call of Isaiah. Isaiah hears the call of the Lord and the Lord says, who will go for me? Who, who wants to go for me? Who's going to take on this task? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. He doesn't say, here is part of me, send me. Here I am partly. He says, here I am, the whole of me. Here I am, send me. And the response that God wants of us in our whole life is, here am I, my whole self, every morning, every day, every afternoon, every day of the week. As Ken said, the nature of worship is not five songs on a Sunday, but whole of life. Here am I. Send me. Here am I. An offering, a living sacrifice. And that is the kind of sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. And Paul says that is our true and proper worship. Daily, hourly, whole of life, here we are. So that's verse 1. And verse 1 is best described as a symbolic and spiritual description of a life of worship. So verse 1, I said, it gets practical. It hasn't yet got practical, not in, in nitty-gritty. But then we start to press in to, to be really practical. Verse 2 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, we all know what a pattern is. When I think about a pattern, I think about uh, someone making like a, 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 a seamstress, is that the right word, a dressmaker, uh, sewing according to a pattern. They're given the pattern and they follow it. If you, thought, if you put that in a uh, uh, kind of an industrial scale or a professional scale, someone's following a pattern over and over again. These days, you use a machine, so it's followed exactly. In the old days, someone would follow that pattern over and over and over again. And the plan is to follow exactly the lines of that pattern, right? It's not about creativity. It's not about doing something different. It is about following 
exactly cutting on that line so you do exactly the same as the last one and exactly the same as the next one exactly the same as the one after that exactly the same as the one before that's following a pattern here's the instruction for your life from God do not follow the pattern of this world don't just settle for a life where you just follow exactly the same as the person on that side and exactly the same as the person on that side who doesn't follow Jesus and exactly the same as the person behind and you just go well here's the pattern for life and I'm just going to follow it Paul says do not conform to the pattern of this world so the question then is uh, what is the pattern of this world and you know what I'm going to do this morning is something a little bit different I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what the pattern of the world is I want you to tell me so you've got three minutes And I want you to turn around in groups of three and four. And I want you to say, uh, here's the question. What is the pattern of this world? Right? Now, before you do that, what I'm looking for is not so much external things as what are the core motivators? Okay? What are the core? What are people really desiring and treasuring and searching for in life? What are people really doing stuff for? Right? What are the inner motivations? What are... What is the pattern of this life? All right? You've got four minutes and three minutes maybe, and I want you to discuss this, and I want to hear what you think the pattern of this world is. Do some, do some thinking for me. Yep. He who dies with the most toys wins has probably become he who dies with the most toys and the best experiences and the most comfortable life combined wins. And we're willing to do a lot to gain that. Um, uh, it's interesting, uh, the power of advertising is phenomenal. And I don't know what you would imagine is spent in Australia on average, uh, 2019, the predicted spend on advertising. Uh, throw a number out, what do you think? Two billion? $17 billion. $17 billion. Now, that is money being spent with purpose. It is, being, it is not, no one spends money on advertising, no company spends money on advertising as a charitable act to media organisations, right? They're doing it to get a win. They're get, doing it for an outcome and they are measuring the outcome. The outcome is to get you to spend money uh, on products, but before that, there's a deeper outcome, which is to get you to think a certain way. It is to change your thinking, right? I'm not having a go here at people involved in marketing. There's um, probably some in the room. One smiling at me right now. But, um, uh, but that is what's happening. It is a deliberate, planned, deeply strategic, carefully measured plan to get you to feel a certain way and think a certain way. The feeling is, I need to do things, to go places, to have things, etc., to the point where you will do incredible amounts of other things, namely work and sacrificing things, uh, things like time with family or with spouse or with community or whatever, to attain those other things because they have become more valuable. Now, that is the world that we live in. And so the world is seeking to profoundly influence us and culture and and advertising the impact of this is on me and on you. Uh, There's no denying it. It's like a giant magnet. 
that is constantly pulling us towards one thing. And um, it's amazing sometimes, uh, you know, I think, uh, I, I stand up here and preach for, uh, what, 30 minutes on, on one Sunday, and, and of course not everyone's here every Sunday anyway, and I've got this opportunity to try to bring something of God's Word to people, and on top of that is whatever people spend in devotions or Bible studies or whatever, uh, but the saturation factor of what other messages you bring compared to the Word of God, it is just like, you know, it's, uh, it's this compared to this. It's, it's, it, that's the nature of it. And so there's this gigantic uh, pull on your life towards a, a pattern that is not a gospel-shaped, God-honoring, worship life pattern and is profoundly influential on all of us. And if we, uh, if we think that, hey, you know, I'm not really affected by that, we're kidding ourselves. So we've got to be uh, thinking about this. And so it's almost like every single day we've got to wake up and actually say daily, you know, here I am and I'm here to worship and to seek to live for you. I know a pastor who would have his alarm go off uh, in terms of an alarm set in his phone, morning, noon and afternoon, late afternoon and three times a day he would be brought back to the reality to say, God, I've got to remember a reminder that I want to live for you as an act of worship because it's so easy to get away from that. You know, uh, Baptists uh, were originally not called Baptists. They were part of a group of people who went by another name and that name was Nonconformists. We were the non-conformists because we had decided that based on our theology that we wouldn't conform not to the world but actually to the church. We had some convictions around theology and what, what a, a pastor or a priest was, that a priest wasn't the only person who had the hotline to God and around baptism and around the, the uh, priesthood of all believers. And so they said, we're not going to conform and they were known as non-conformists. We need to be known again as non-conformists. Not for uh, other religion, but actually for the ways of the world. We need to be known as non-conformists. Uh, it's fascinating. I'll give it... Oh, no, I'm going to... Oh, time's getting away. Uh, so, we need to not conform to the pattern of this world. So, what do we do? Do we just do the opposite? Do we say, okay, well, everyone's working really hard, so I'm going to drop out and not work. Everyone's spending money on houses, so I'll never own a house, I'll never own a car, I'll just kind of... Well, it's not just about doing the opposite. Paul gives us a different plan. He says this, the way that we uh, avoid conforming to the pattern of this world is by, uh, let me find the verse, by being transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay, so it's not actually, it doesn't actually start with looking at external things. It starts, again, with looking at an internal thing. Renew our mind, focus on God, turn our attention to His Word, invite the, 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 the Holy Spirit to refill us, press in for more of God, devote ourselves to prayer. Uh, as we do these things uh, repeatedly, we find our mind is renewed. renewed. Because uh, even for myself, it is incredibly, uh, amazingly easy for me to be molded by the world. Just this week, I'll, I'll share with you a little confession, okay? That'll get your attention. Um, just this week, just amazing how a thought process happens. I, I've just done football training, which is where I'm an assistant coach, uh, uh, chief uh, 
mover of the, um, of the witches' hats and cones. And uh, I get in the car and uh, another guy who's part of our team uh, helps out, great guy, he gets in his car and his car is a Mercedes-Benz uh, Mercedes AMG thing, right? And so he starts it up and it, I start mine up and it, it starts up. He starts his up and it's like... And I just thought to myself in, in this moment, this is, this is my thought pattern, I thought, why can't I have a car like that? <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I know why I can't have a car like that. Because I, and I'm not being boastful at all, this is, just, this is my thought process, I thought if I didn't give away 10% of what I earn, I could have that car. It's as simple as that. Easy. And, and, and then I was like, you know, you know, I'm not thinking like that. I'm not going down that path. Um, and, uh, and, I, um, and I thankfully I've got my wife who reminds me, if I ever say like that, gee, I'd love to be a member of a really nice golf club. And I could do that. No. Um, <laughs> the only thing holding me back is when I, we start to think like that so easily. We're drawn to that. And then I think, what difference does it make? Do I really care? No, I don't. What is more exciting is loving and valuing the things of God. See, it goes on to say this. It says, do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will. And I missed a word here. I understood as I studied this this week, a word in this that I'd missed the whole time. I used to think about being able to test God's will. Then you'll be able to test God's will. Then you'll be able to know what is right and what is wrong. Then you'll be able to know what is from God and what is not from God. But I missed a word, and that word is approve. It doesn't just say then you'll be able to test God's will, then you'll be able to approve what God's will is. And I never really understood this. And this is what it means. I've got to finish up soon. It's like if you hired someone, if you were panning for gold, and you hired someone to pan for gold with you, they became someone, so then there's two of you doing it, but they had no idea about the value of gold. But you taught them, this is how you identify what it is. You, you, you know, shake the pan around and then you get this little gold speck. And they looked at that and they began to discover what gold is. They could identify it. And they even thought to themselves, yeah, that, that rock looks quite nice. It's quite shiny. But they just keep handing over to you the gold, not under, having no understanding that it's actually an extremely valuable metal. But you know that it's valuable. And... Uh, the, the, the application of this is that it's not just about being able to know what is right, it's being able to actually value what is right. It's actually being able to value the things of God so that you treasure it. So if you know the value of gold, you're going to treasure that gold where the other person is just handing it over going, this guy likes yellow covered, colored rock, you know, good on him, that's great. But the other person's going, I know the value of this. I'm, I'm going to care for this. I'm treasuring this. And so the application of that is not just that we know the things of God, but that we treasure the things of God, that we value them more than we value a nice car. And as we press into God, as, we, as our mind is reviewed, it doesn't just become a work of obedience. I will give some of my money regularly and it's a bit of a duty and it's a bit of a drag because I can't spend it on other things. But we actually go, it is a joy for me to give. 
It is a joy for me to know that actually I'm actually part some in some crazy way that I'm actually supporting work that's happening in Vietnam right now today. I'm actually part of something that's happening in Papua New Guinea right now. I'm actually part of something that's happening on the APY lands of South Australia. I'm actually part of something that's happening in Latvia. I'm actually part of something that's happening every week in local schools. I'm part of something that's happening in West Care in the city this morning. I'm part of something that's happening, uh, what else do we support? In the Middle East right now. I'm part of something that's happening, uh, yeah, through Miracle Connect, a ministry that's happening. I'm part of something that's happening in Indonesia. Do you know when you give to the offering, that's what you're giving to, as well as the ministry of this church to raise young people in the faith, to raise teenagers and children, to disciple adults and to be part of a church family. So that's a delight for me to be part of that. It's a delight to serve God. The the scripture says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. John Piper, a famous preacher, said this, God is most glorified in us, when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him, when we treasure our relationship with God, when we treasure serving God. So let me apply this in about two minutes and the band can come up as we do this. I'll say this. Point one, take this little saying home, three words. Conformity is boring. Conformity is boring. Not only is it not what God wants of us, how boring is it just to be like everybody else in this world? Dare to be different. Dare to be different. Um, in Australia, it's becoming probably harder to be a Christian, right? We feel, the, we feel the pressure of that. We feel under threat a little bit. But you know the upside of that? It's easier to stand out. It's easier to be different. So dare to be different. Don't just fit in. Don't just fit the pattern of this world. Secondly, see faith as an adventure. See faith as an adventure. You know, uh, uh, Christianity for me, following Jesus has been an adventure. It's been a great adventure. It's not just about fitting with, like just doing the stuff that my whole journey of faith has been an adventure. When I packed in, I'm not suggesting we all need to do this because we serve God in our current job and in our current life as we are. But for me, ever since becoming a Christian, it's been an adventure. It's been an adventure. Hasn't always been easy, hasn't always been fun, hasn't always been smooth sailing, but it's always been an adventure. And uh, the way we start that is the easiest thing we can do is just by saying yes to God when He puts a call in our life. Saying yes to God when He puts a call in our life. That doesn't matter whether it's a call to overseas cross-cultural mission or to being a pastor or to serving in an area of ministry or just getting involved on a Sunday or by being a blessing to your neighbor when you get that prompting from God that says, do something. But just say yes to God, see faith as as an adventure and dare to be different because conformity is boring and it is not what God calls us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you that you actually have a unique calling on the life of every single person here. And I think that when we hear that call to actually not conform to the pattern in this world, 
but actually to be transformed. When we hear the call that says what we are part of is not a service, an organization, or an institution, but a movement, and we're actually called to be part of that movement, then you stir in us something that says, that's right. That is what I want to be part of. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to be. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.